This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 4th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. It's a new year, so how about a new policy towards Cuba? Over decades, the U.S. has fought unsuccessfully to dislodge Fidel Castro's communist regime. Most Americans, including most Cuban Americans, now favor ending the travel ban, and congressional support for changing this policy is increasing. Arizona Congressman Jeff Flake on December 2, 2009, told a Cato Capitol Hill briefing audience that ending the travel embargo means respecting Americans' rights to travel and promotes freedom in Cuba. I appreciate being here. If you haven't heard, I just heard that the uh, last uh, licenses just granted to travel to Cuba were given to Tariq and Mikhail Salahi. <laughs> On condition they don't come back. <laughs> it's just, I'm kidding. No, they weren't granted. But, uh, but anyway, um, we had hearings just a couple of uh, weeks ago, as you know, in the, in the Foreign Affairs uh, Committee here in the House. The first hearing we've had since I've been here in 10 years Specifically on the question is, specifically with the question, should the U.S. Uh, lift its travel ban? And uh, of course, the answer is a resounding yes. I think to all of us here, and I think to most people there at the hearing, certainly those those watching. But I, I, I was amazed there at uh, the creativity and some of the arguments that uh, people come up with for why we should keep this uh, embargo in place. If you remember way back 20 years ago, the argument was, hey, the Soviet Union is pulling out. There's no way that, uh, that the Cubans, that the regime can survive uh, this, this economic calamity that's coming with the Soviet pullout and all the subsidies. So let's just keep this embargo in and this travel ban in just a little bit longer and, uh, and they'll, be, they'll be done. Well, they went through what they call their special period. Uh, down there in the early 90s, and they, they survived it, the regime did. So in the mid-90s, they tightened it a little further and uh, said, surely that will do it. Um, when I came here in uh, 2001, we were told just a little, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, they won't be able to survive this uh, economically. And uh, here we are now, and uh, we're hearing the same thing again. Uh, but we're also, we also know that that argument is wearing a little thin, and so some other arguments were brought forward. One of the witnesses testified that uh, Cuba is pretty adept uh, at intelligence gathering. We all know that. Uh, there have been some spies here captured in the last little while, but to what uh, I didn't expect was for that to be used as a reason not to allow Americans to travel to Cuba. Imagine that. Uh, that a country is pretty good at intelligence gathering and has a lot of spies. So that is the reason why we shouldn't allow Americans to travel to Cuba, because they get, might be caught up in that web somehow. Uh, some people will allege that uh, Americans, every American that travels to Cuba is followed around. Now that's simply absurd. Um, they, they simply don't have the manpower to do that. But assuming they were, then wouldn't it make sense to, to flood the island with visitors and confuse them a bit on that, make it, their job a little more difficult. Uh, but the argument that we shouldn't allow travel simply because it will make their intelligence gathering easier or we some, somehow be caught up in the web is a little crazy. It reminded me of in 2002 uh, when uh, John Bolton uh, said uh, the reason when we were coming close in the House here and in the Senate to passing language on the appropriation bill to deny money to enforce a travel ban all of a sudden, we came up, there was a statement that Cuba has, and I can't remember the exact language of it, but uh, that they have at least a limited offensive biological research capability, I think is the way he put it. 
Now, aside from the fact that every high school chemistry lab in the U.S. has that kind of capability and anyone overseas, uh, that was given as a reason why we shouldn't allow Americans to travel there. Well, if you're catching a theme here, we've heard the same arguments and new arguments, and none of them um, really amount to good reasons why Americans shouldn't be able to travel to Cuba. And, and I think the real value of the hearing that we had uh, was that uh, some of those testifying, including Mr. Peters here, as he always does, was able to cut through the arguments and say, this, you may want to continue to sanction the Cuban regime in ways that you are, or maybe think of some new ways, but why in the world do we have this sanction on Americans? This is a prohibition on American travel. Uh, it, it's impacting me and you and my constituents, your constituents, everybody else. Why should we be doing this? It simply makes no sense. I think we can stipulate uh, that the Castro brothers are pretty bad guys. They continue to do bad things. That's not the point. In fact, uh, when I traveled to, to Cuba, I, I believe it was uh, in 2002, uh, the first meeting I had with the foreign minister, now, I had uh, let them know that I wouldn't uh, be meeting with Fidel Castro. I saw no reason in it. It's a waste of time from what I'd heard. And, and, uh, and so I, and the five times I've traveled down to Cuba, I've never uh, met with Fidel Castro. But I, I told the foreign minister I wouldn't be meeting with him. And he said, was there a message you would like me to carry to him? And I said, yes. I said, tell him that we plan on lifting the travel ban. And if the Cuban government doesn't shape up, we'll lift the whole embargo. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's, that's exactly how I feel about it. It's finally time for a get-tough policy with Cuba. And a get-tough policy is not to continue what we've been doing for the last 50 years. Uh, that get, getting tough hasn't worked very well. A get-tough policy would be to allow Americans to take the values that they have and that they export so well, and that we have so many examples elsewhere in the world. Uh, we, we've been able to... To, to export democracy, and let us try that at least. There are certainly no guarantees uh, that, uh, that it will turn Cuba around. But I always say, uh, if there's any question, um, if your argument is as good as mine or mine is as good as yours, let's say, uh, let's, let's say, let's call it even. And the default ought to be, well, allow Americans to travel. Allow Americans to have the freedom. Um, there, unless you have a compelling national security reason otherwise, and, and I would, uh, uh, despite arguments about intelligence gathering or limited biological weapons capabilities um, or presence on the state sponsor of terrorism list, uh, if, if those all don't stop you from traveling to other countries, why should they stop you from traveling to Cuba? So uh, I appreciate uh, what the Cato Institute has done over the years to, to stand for freedom here. And, and uh, for me, that is what this argument has always been about. Um, and uh, should Americans simply be able to exercise their constitutional rights? And, and some, as they did, point out in the hearing that there is, uh, there is precedent, that certainly that the, the uh, United States government does have the ability to limit your constitutional right to travel. I'm not arguing that. Uh, I'm, I'm arguing the prudence of it. I'm arguing whether it's a good idea. And that's what Congress is here for. We can change the law and, and to make sure that Americans have that right to travel. So thank you all for, for having me here. I, I appreciate uh, um, the opportunity, and I'll be glad to answer any questions if there are before the votes come. But let me just leave with a, with a quote here. 
from Ronald Reagan in 1987. He said, I believe that our public diplomacy represents a powerful force, perhaps the most powerful force in our dis at our disposal for shaping the history of the world. He said in, in 1984, uh, he, and he was talking about U.S.-Soviet relations here, but you can substitute U.S.-Cuba relations, I think, pretty easily. He said, it may seem an impossible dream to think there will come a time when Americans and Soviet citizens of all walks and uh, of all walks of life travel freely back and forth, visiting each other's homes to look up friends and professional colleagues, to work together on all sorts of problems, and if they feel like it, sit up late at night talking about the meaning of life and different ways to look at the world. I don't believe that that's an impossible dream. That's what he said in 1984, and it certainly wasn't an impossible dream uh, when you're talking about the U.S. and the Soviets, and it shouldn't be an impossible dream when we're talking about Cuba, and I, I hope that that day comes and comes soon. Thank you. Jeff Flake is a U.S. representative from Arizona. You can listen to or watch the full Cato Capitol Hill briefing at Cato.org.